Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? listening to Double Feature. My name is Eric13, and I'm here with Monsieur Poof, Michael Kester. Oh, you pronounced my name correctly, finally. Excellent. <laughs> Off to a great start. <laughs> um, we're doing, uh, we're doing a, a 2003 French film called Swimming Pool that's debatably French. I think this is a pretty English film, I'll have you know, but... Uh, well, I'll, hey, listen, you tell the internet that and they'll tell you that you're fucking wrong. All right. And then we're going to do a firmly Dutch movie called The Vanishing. Um, today on Double Feature, I said it, I couldn't tell you the theme last week, but I can tell you this week because spoilers. Today on Double Feature, it's the uh, getting away with murder double feature. But it, but uh, it's it's man, it's super interesting the way that these the way that these these murders are gotten away with. I'm not talking about, um, you know, we, we here on Double Feature, we have been known to, uh, to do a lot of types of cinema where one may get away with murder. In fact, our very first Killapalooza was no less than 10 movies about somebody getting away with murder, uh, if very you wanted to put it that way. Strange way to position <laughs> the Jason Voorhees films, but okay, fine. But it is it is very uncommon, I feel, in uh, in cinema to do movies like the ones we're covering today, whereby uh, somebody gets away with murder, and you kind of go, "Oh yeah, I guess there'd be no way in hell anybody would ever catch that person." And so, yeah, those are the. That's I'm sort glad of you're the, taking uh, practical murder notes on these. Yeah, I had yeah. how to get away with murder double feature, right? <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Yeah, it makes me a little concerned about you, but that's just every show at this point. So, if you are looking to launder your money, patreon.com forward slash double feature, it's sort of like laundering your money, except you don't get it back. So, right, uh, <laughs> right. But if you just want to practice the first step, which is you know, yeah, invest in something that seems like you would never get your money back from it. <laughs> It's a really great example of that. What it would give you is more of these shows, which we are dangerously on the verge of sincerely not having. Yep. So I like to think about that as little as possible. So much, in fact, that moments before we went on the air with this show, we committed to next week. <laughs> it was, I'm looking, I was looking at the schedule uh, when, I, when I sat down. I'm like, oh shit, we like flat out don't even have a pair next week. That's where we're at. Yeah. Um, we're so close. Uh, we have a few weeks until we close out the whole year. It would be nice to at least finish the year. I mean, I can't even believe I'm saying that, but it's hard. It's hard to get money for art, man. This is like the whole the whole crux of uh, every frustration in my life is, uh, you know, nobody wants to pay for anything. Everything's all sponsored by ads. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's just no future where we have an ad-driven show. I just don't. That takes people to wrangle ads and stuff. I don't know how to do that. Right. Yeah. There's a million of those. I think we are literally the last fucking podcast on earth that doesn't have... I don't even. I can't even make up a fake ad on the spot. That's how much we don't have ads. Yeah, no, it's okay. Don't lose any sleep over it uh, with oh. Casper mattress. <laughs> okay, you don't right, have to <laughs> swoop right in there. Swoop right in there. Because I'm, um, you know, I'm just sort of a, a visual filmmaking type. The uh, the very non plot centric idea I had with these movies 
was that they are two movies that play out tonally in a way that's, I mean, like completely opposed to what they're actually about. Oh, yeah. To great effect, too, which yeah. I absolutely love. They're they're very both of these movies are very strange in their um in their cadence, sort of the way that it, it's almost like it's almost it's almost like the movie doesn't feel like it's getting away with anything. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Which is very strange to watch. Yeah, that's gonna be um I wanna talk about that with the vanishing too, but I'll wait. We should start with swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And sort of give you an idea of kind of what I'm talking about here. I don't want to shade your your opinion at all on this, but I think in a lot of ways, this is like a upbeat story about a woman finding herself, right? Totally. It's about it. Literally, so the movie, the movie on paper, right? Um, this is sort of, let this sort of serve as a log line, but not really. We'll do a real log line after. But the movie on paper is an aging, accomplished uh, single woman who's a writer of series gets writer's block and she whisks herself away to a French chateau where she not only overcomes her writer's block, she meets a young person becomes liberated sexually and gets over her distaste for swimming pools. All of this (laughs) is accomplished in the runtime of the film. There's a murder uh, and she helps somebody cover it up uh, and she doesn't know who that person ends up being. It ends up being a random transient stranger. But that's really just sort of like, that's how we spent our summer. And the movie is mostly about this writer really self-actualizing. So there, you know, I think everybody kind of has these, um, you you come to a movie much like music at a certain time and place in your life and they become albums, bands, or even films that are just embedded in the the sort of uh in your personality and who you are and in the way you look at the world one of these really um uh formulative is that maybe that's kind of the word i want formulative films for me was maholland drive mm-hmm. a movie that to this day i it seems weird to even say something like i like or don't like maholland drive so much as just like maholland drive yeah that fucking movie sure but you know, I saw Mulholland. It's more like wallpaper than it is a poster on your wall. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a room you walk into and then the door vanishes behind yeah. you. That's the, Yeah. 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 I totally get it. So, you know, I saw Maholland Drive when um when I was really discovering film and had never seen anything like it. And this movie, Swimming Pool, was a movie that was commonly kind of given to me as this is sort of Lynchian, you know. Here's another thing. This came out pretty. It's actually probably about the time I saw Mulholland Drive. That's sort of when this movie would have been coming out, something like that, mm-hmm. or it just come out a couple of years ago. So I think that's why people were probably throwing it at me as like, "Oh, this is a thing that's kind of happening." There's almost like this little movement, and this was a great watch this time for the show because I don't think I've seen it in the 20 years since it came out. So I've always just had this this idea in my head of swimming pool as some like chaser on the shot of Mulholland Drive. And after a while, I couldn't even remember what the fuck happened in swimming pool. So, you know, you're watching it and it plays out with this ominous, not oppressive, but definitely ominous tone to it. Like something's going to happen. What's going on in this chateau? It seems like a writer is just here, but a mysterious woman has appeared. She can't get a hold of anyone on the phone. And 
that ominous tone is so much in contrast with everything you've been saying, everything we've outlined for this being like a, a upbeat discovery kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is eat, pray, love, kill is basically what we're watching. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I just, I wouldn't have thought that that is the way stylistically that something plays out when it is about rediscovery, liberation in a way, those, those types sure. of things. Sure. Sure. Um, I feel like the log line was mostly in there. Yeah. Gives you an idea of the log line, gives you an idea of the tone of the movie. Also, I think the actors are probably really important. You know, Charlotte Rampling. Charlotte Rampling has been in a million movies, uh, was in Benedetta and Summer of 21 recently. Dexter, a show I know you and I both watched. Melancholia. And then just on the show, actually, last fucking episode in uh, <laughs> uh, Never, Never Let, Let Me, Me Go. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Ludovin Sanier, I think, is how you pronounce the other woman's name. Mm-hmm. The only thing I think we've seen her in on the show was Eight Women. Okay. But she is so fucking... Uh, okay, so when I say this movie has like an ominous tone to it, I guess what I also feel like I'm leaving out is it's kind of got a little bit of like an erotic thriller feeling to it as well. Totally. Right? Totally. And yeah. that's where I yeah. think people would would kind of draw the line with Mulholland Drive. Not that it's like so hard to figure out or so enigmatic, but it's sort of like this, she's alone in this house and suddenly a young woman shows up and the young woman seems to just like hang out by the pool is naked, mm-hmm. brings different people by to sleep with them. Right. So it's this disruptive and a little bit chaotic sexual force in a place where, right. you know, where we were just hanging out with this character who we didn't have any sexual picture of. You know, we weren't going like, this is um, uh, this older woman who writes books, but who does she fuck? You know, like that wasn't really the question that was right. that we were going to the chateau to figure out. So it's kind of this whole, it's this almost untalked about area of her life, I guess, that is um, even just seeing her react to this girl's naked body for the first time next to the pool. Like we spent a long time on that reaction shot and going like, this is a disturbing force. This is chaos for mm-hmm. her. She's uncomfortable around it. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't want to see this. And I think what makes this really interesting for what the movie's doing in terms of her character and her themes and her whole arc is she comes to this uh, this getaway to write. But what do we hear her complain about before she leaves is like, oh, I'm writing these these sort of like competent and beloved, but not very challenging detective novels. Mm-hmm. So her work is kind of stagnant, I guess is how, or I, I don't know, how would you describe the, what's her reaction to the the novels? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a living. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's not like she hates them. It's not really the disdain, but she wants to spread her wings, I guess. She's looking for like sure. some adventure, something new. She thinks she can be more, right? Mm-hmm. So artistically, she's reaching for something. So she goes there not as a relaxing getaway, really, right. but just as a like, I need to go find something exciting within myself. And I'm going to do that by, you know, staying at a hotel, basically. Sure. I'm going to go do that by just like not being in my house. Sure. Maybe something exciting will happen to me, which is not really, right. you know, right. how things work. But she gets there, 
And against all odds, this outside force of chaos appears and basically like, you know, gives her everything she needs. Right? Right. I mean, she's looking like for Like literally some, gives her things. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. So it's, we're not even talking about... So, so <laughs> sorry, you're, you are being a little bit coy. It's not that she's inspired by these events. She's literally <laughs> taking other manuscripts. Well, yeah, she is handed pages by the end just I to mean, really hit the it's metaphor. Not, it's not, we're not talking about a writer who's like, and then I used all the, I used my summer French vacation and I used those experiences and I wrote them into, it's literally like, so I took this bitch's diary, I took her mom's old book and I made a book. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm fucking... Now I wrote a book. Well, she starts by just kind of like looking for the excitement. And then, you know, when this half-naked younger person just drops into her life, she's basically given this on a silver platter and is like, will Mm -hmm. you please stay out of the house? Will you please stop making so much noise? All these crazy people you're bringing back to the house to have sex with, that would be too interesting for my novel. So please don't do that in here. And she has to overcome her own personal hangups about really, you know, like being stagnant and not wanting to get her hands dirty. That's how I feel about it. That it's kind of like, well, how, how has she wound up complacent in her own life? We don't see a lot of her life, but I would imagine it's probably because she doesn't like to be around things that make her uncomfortable. And she's trying to write about exciting new experiences mm-hmm. and one's never going to come into her life if she's always like, can you kids keep it down over there? Right. And also right. put your clothes back on. And I hate swimming pools. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, she's not taking the swim, right? I mean, I, that's all, all I guess I'm saying. But you're right. It does eventually ramp up more and more to like, oh, I did a murder. Why'd you do a murder? I thought you needed it, which is just yeah. sort of never explained, right? Mm-hmm. She's, um, you know, Charlotte's character is going to toss a rock in the pool. Like, hey, Knock it off down there, you smutty French kids. And then the girl responds by killing this dude, you know, so there's an exciting thing to provoke her writing is sort of the, maybe the unspoken part of this, I guess. But yeah, by the very end of it, she's literally going, here's more pages of this. Yeah. Which I think is really funny, just so literal. I'm, and, and I had a thought, and I don't know if the movie wants me to have this thought or whatever, uh, but so essentially what happens is we go through all of this. They do, they do a murder together. Um, Julie turns out to not be Julia, who is her publisher's actual daughter. So this is essentially some transient woman. Is there any possibility that, that what goes on at the Chateau is all fiction? I think there's totally a possibility. Okay. I think that, well, it's, that it's essentially we're essentially seeing a, a real world depiction of her inspiration for this story. Yeah. And that's where the pages, pages come, come from. from. Right, right. Right. Well, yeah, because I think there's, you know, you could read it a couple different ways, but as the movie goes on, it does also get like increasingly bizarre. Yeah. Like she, the, you know, let's do it dance scene. <laughs> It's just so weird. Right. And it it sort of goes into a hallucinogenic dream from there. She's discovering like, uh, you know, she she comes upon an odd looking woman in the city who she thinks is someone's uh, daughter, but ends up being their wife or whatever. You know, it's just like too not commonplace 
it, it's meant to poke you a little bit and go mm-hmm. like, this is fucking weird, huh? What's this about? Right. Huh, probably nothing. Go back to your house, you know? Right. But I think that's one of the things about the movie is it plays out like, it plays out like a delusion, but it's shown to you like it isn't one. Right. Sure. You know, sure. you don't, you don't just see the movie from Charlotte's character's perspective. You hang out with the girl you think is Julie just like in a room on her own. So it's not all Charlotte's point of view. And usually you wouldn't do that in a movie. I, I mean, it seems like commonly if you're trying to mm-hmm. put a fake person in the movie, you only show them when the other person's around. Sure. So the movie is definitely trying to mess with you in that respect. Well, but also, you know, an author's, an author's work exists when the author's not around. So totally. there's that conversation. Oh, yeah, but there's, also, there's, there's like no these reason sort of, you have to adhere to yeah, these fucking rules. But there's rules. also sort of like these these slanted things that are interesting um, now that I'm thinking about it and we don't have to get too deep into it because I don't think it really matters. But, you know, why is the transient character Julie and it turns out that the publisher's daughter's name is Julia? You know, it's very possible, like, because let me tell you, like, I don't know people's fucking husband's names. Uh People are like, oh, yeah, my husband. And then, like, if I were to create, if I were to create a facsimile of a conversation with an acquaintance's husband and his name was Brent, I may well be like, and then I was telling Brett. Like yeah, th- yeah, yeah. that would easily happen. Julie, Julia, really doesn't matter it, who right? we're meeting yeah, there. Yeah, some, some, yeah. So there's little things like that that I think are the are one fun thing to we're really told is that it's not her publisher's daughter. In the end, whether she was there, whether she wasn't there in her head, if any of it was real, the one reason that I, usually I'm I'm inclined to like the more naturalistic you know, kind of solution to these things. Me too. But what (laughs) what I think is like really fucking delicious about her not being there is, so what is the movie giving us if that's the case? It's it's basically being like, the smut was inside you all this time. Yeah, right. That's, you know, and when the magic's inside you, we roll our eyes at it. But because it's basically like, (laughs) you know, hey, you can, (laughs) you know, if you just reach inside yourself, metaphorically or literally in this French chateau, you know, you'll find your carnal urges and maybe you can utilize that to spice up your writing a little bit. And I love that. That does have a nice parody with this year's like French extreme theme too, which is like, if you take, if you take this conservative English woman and just put a little French in her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Yeah. The, uh, so this is a Francois Ozon movie. Um, who I think I've talked about quite a bit on those French extreme shows, but he did eight women and, uh, you know, and I won't drop all the movies in here. Cause again, I just feel like mm-hmm. we've talked about him quite a bit. The one thing that I think makes this movie a little different than some of his other films, you know, I really like see the sea, which is a short he did. And again, I will always encourage people to watch that. Cause I think it's fucking awesome. And there's a lot of reoccurring motifs where like, I don't know exactly why, especially in France, you do a short, but it seems like people don't see shorts. So Mm -hmm. he kind of reuses a couple little icons that I could tell he was sort of, you know, like woman in a bath smoking, just very like kind of iconic images. The disruptive chaos of of an outside woman coming in and just, I don't know, whatever, see fucking, see the sea. But there's also the setting of like a, in the tradition of like a Eric Romare film. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those. 
I'm not sure. Like he does these like morality plays, right? So there was one called Black Collection News. So basically these are tales of morality or he's got a couple that that fit in uh different series. But you know, the moral tales are a story that appears to just be about like three people hanging out and sort of the different ways they see life or the different relationships they get into that have more broad moral implications. Mm -hmm. This particular one is like two guys go to hang out at a a French chateau out in the countryside just to do the least effort, you know, tasks possible. They're just very minimal. They don't want to get caught up in anything. And when they get to the house, there is a young woman there who is also using the house and what she wants to do is just have sex with a different person like every night. Mm-hmm. And you sort of see the clash of those different lifestyles. And I think, you know, that's really the only commonality they have. But just taking that backdrop and going like, oh, can I do something like psychologically fucked with that? It's worth looking at that movie if you like this because there's so many of those films. And I think you get a lot more out of that than, you know, I hear people talk about something like La Piscine a lot just because it, you know, translates to swimming pool. People think they're <laughs> so similar, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess there's a little overlap there, but not really the point. The point is that French smut reigns supreme. That's not the point either. What are we doing? The Vanishing. The Vanishing. Uh, the Vanishing, man. So The Vanishing is like, um, it sort of like feels like if the movie I Stand Alone wanted to like, ask for forgiveness. Oh, that's, that's sort of like, so the vanishing, uh, I'm going to log line it early because I feel like it's good so idea. Content heavy. Uh, so the vanishing, uh, this couple is on a trip and they, uh, they get into a fight. They go to a rest stop. The woman goes missing. Flash forward three years later, the man responsible for the missing woman is trying to make amends seemingly with the boyfriend who has not stopped looking for his missing uh, girlfriend. I think that lays out a lot of plot too, because, you know, there is this period where what I go into the movie knowing is that this woman's going to go missing at some point. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what's going to happen. The biggest shocker to me watching the movie from, you know, all the details that you've hit is that we hit a point where we're like, and then three years later. Right. I really, I don't know about you. That's not where I thought this movie would go. No, you think it's going to be fucking at least taken, right? You think, okay, she goes missing and then it's, and then it's, it is a very like minute for minute what happens when your girlfriend goes missing Yeah. until one thing or the other happens. But instead she just doesn't get found. There's no sign of anything. Well, you know, there'll be a vanishing. It's fucking called the vanishing. Right. I don't know how that works with the Dutch language. And I feel like uh, actually this movie does that whole bit where they're like making fun of what the names translate to. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to get caught up in a, like a mistranslation, but it's a film from the Netherlands. In America, we call the movie The Vanishing and I assume a lot of other English-speaking places. So we see Rex, we see uh, Saska, mm-hmm. and I assume she's going to vanish at some point. Sure. But I find myself in a pattern that I know you get into all the time where you turn on a movie called The Vanishing, you see two characters... And then every time they stop the car, you're like, is this where the vanishing? Here comes the vanishing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
And the tension that creates for me watching this is so good. It's so good. I mean, not only that, but when the film decides to vanish Sasuke uh, is still somehow surprises me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like the movie baits you right off the well, bat. Well, because it's, you've been faked out twice or something yeah, before that. It yeah. baits you right off the bat where she's like, it's dark. I'm scared. He's like, I'm going to walk away. And I'm like, fucking what? <laughs> yeah, literally vanishes out of the frame, right? I mean, it's like yeah. in a fucking tunnel. <laughs> And I love that. So they, they kind of have this argument over this flashlight. She's like, no, 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 we yeah. got to get the flashlight. But I think so importantly, and what really helps the, the like, I'm thinking about this movie later and the gravity hits me, bleak fucking movie. And part mm-hmm. of why it's so bleak for me is they're driving along. They're just chatting in the car, getting to know each other, real sound of metal style, you know, just like uh, yep. doing, doing some on the road talk. And... She goes, you know, I'm having, uh, I had another one of those golden egg dreams. You know, golden egg dream. Told you about them many a time. And he goes, right, the one where you're floating in space is a golden egg, of course. Of course, I know what you're talking about. She goes, yeah, this time there's two golden eggs. Anyways, the point of this dream, let me just skip ahead, is that uh, I have an issue with abandonment. I want you to know that. Uh I'm desperately lonely in this dream. And it's the worst feeling I could possibly have please just don't ever leave me all alone, especially like in the moments of my death, please. Right. And he's like, ooh, uh, hold on, car's out of gas. Hold that thought. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's like, oh, I better get a flashlight. And he goes, while you're looking for that flashlight, fuck you, bye. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I'm just, I'm pins and needles already. Sure. And the movie hasn't sure. even done anything yet. I'm just like, come on, right. man. Don't leave the, the abandonment issues person right. in the car. And then they get back together and she goes, she goes, okay, that was really fucked up. He's like, I feel really bad. She's like, listen, just repeat after me. Under no circumstances <laughs> will I ever, ab-. and it like shows him and it, he like feels it. He's oh, yeah. like engraving oh, yeah. it on his bones. Yeah. He will never, and, and it's funny because it feels really ham fisted. I mean, it feels like mm-hmm. the movie's bludgeoning you with a brick. Uh, but for some reason, it actually just rings very like human and true. Zero percent less effective. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think yeah. we've all had that moment too where we're in a conversation with someone, we're like, okay, this is really serious. I'm going to make eye contact with you. Yeah. I'm going to let you know I'm etching it in my mind. And yes, I will take care of this. I see it's bothering you. Do not let it. Right. It will be sure. okay. And then, and we and even then get you the, keep the toilet seat down. <laughs> we even get the moment, you know, so she goes to a gas station and later we get this moment. They're at a gas station together. They've just had this argument. She kind of like doesn't accept the apology. She sort of throws it back at him just long enough. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, I think he says, you know, in that moment, I've loved you more than ever. And she goes, I fucking hated you. And it's just enough of a heart sink for her to go, no, just kidding. And I'm relieved. Mm-hmm. You know, I wipe away the perspiration. I'm like, okay, we have finally fixed everything. We got out of that scenario. There could have been a vanishing there. We made it out alive. Everything's fine. But then they go to kiss and their kisses, you know, it's obscured by, it's like bifurcated by the exterior of the car. So the audience can't fucking see them. And I'm over here, I'm overanalyzing everything at this point because I'm watching for the vanishing, right? I'm like on the edge of my seat going, oh no, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? 
So I'm sitting here looking at like, oh, the camera wouldn't let us see the kiss connect. That must be so that later it fucking feels bad where we're like, we didn't get the moment and then she's gone. So it's getting worse and worse. And then, uh, you know, and then it's sort of like the fight. Well, was it resolved? Are they still, it's kind of a odd moment. It's kind of tense. Anyways, I just line all this stuff up to point out that when she goes missing, when it finally happens, the moments leading up to that feel like forever because these are all the moments that we are going to scrutinize and we're going to scrutinize them maybe because of what the film's doing, but it's also just practically what you do. Think about when your fucking car keys went missing, a pet goes missing. You know, what do you do? You go, where was the last time, you know, Mm -hmm. where's the last place I put the car flashlight? Did I check the glove compartment? I do have an image of sort of seeing it in the trunk. Maybe I'll check there. So he's doing all the stuff. He's like, right, I'll take a picture of the car uh, or I'll look at the picture of the car. That might have a clue. Okay, she's going in here. She would have turned. She would have. And so every second of this, you know, what I feel like we could have put a clock on the screen. Sure. One minute, 20 seconds. Let's retrace every second, see sure. where she could have been. Sure. And we lived there for a while yeah. before we just go, well, didn't find her three years later. It's funny too, because not only not, I feel like the movie has intentionally laid out like a slightly longer thread than you would normally get in that scenario. Normally in that scenario, you'd be like, okay, well, she went to get some drinks. She, and then she never came back. And you go and ask the guy and you're like, hey, the guy, uh, did she come get drinks? And he's like, yeah. And then she left. And then you're like, fuck, okay, well, and then you ask like some person who's sitting there and be like, did you see this girl come out with drinks? And that person's like, not really. And that's the end of your thread. But this movie, you know, did you see her? Yeah, she was over there. Then she came out and he's like, wait, that means she was standing here and I happen to have this Polaroid. And if I, that's definitely her. So maybe if I ask this, I mean, and it feels like in these moments, he's actually getting somewhere, Yeah. right? He has this Polaroid with evidence of maybe that's the vehicle and this person. And then, and then when the movie goes, anyway, three years later, you're like, wait, really? Even like, I thought yeah, we had leads. Yeah. I thought we were going somewhere. Well, yeah, it seems so important. And, you know, this is because it does, the movie does something else that's so much bigger than this that I feel like this is one of the unsung parts is, uh, you know, if you think about like a Netflix true crime series that, talks about what really happened during the moments of, let's say, a murder. And, you know, there's the camera on the doorknob because that's going to become important. And then the ruffling of a napkin, but it's actually left in kind of a weird spot. And, you know, the camera's kind of showing all these different things. And then they're going to spend 12 fucking episodes deconstructing that one minute, 20 second, you know, piece where the event took place that you're right. Otherwise, you might have just whizzed by. We whiz by mundane things all the time. So, you know, a Netflix 12-part series reconfirms what I'm saying here, that as we give gravity to these tiny things, it's really worth looking at these little moments and sitting with them because it heightens the importance of this and creates this crushing contrast to Mm -hmm. when we've drug out a minute 30 for so long and now we're so far in the future. And that's when I feel like the movie really starts too, which is crazy. Yeah, the whole movie's about this kind of contrast, but then we're in the future and sure. and now the movie, which is done like sort of an impressive thing around the compression of time, 
you know, in that little bit and now moving into the future, that's going to become like a fucking side gimmick. You you could go through the whole movie and forget that even played out, mm-hmm. you know, in, in such a careful way. Because now we enter who we assume is the kidnapper. Well, and that's super interesting too, right? Is it just starts showing you this other dude? Yeah. And, and your brain does this wonderfully Olympic thing that a good cinematic piece will always make it to where you've never seen this character before. The movie's definitely sticking on him for longer <laughs> than it would an arbitrary uh-huh. character, right? And you go, okay, well, listen, there's only three characters in this movie and I've seen two of them mm-hmm. because up until now, there's only three people. There's him, her, and whoever took her. Yeah. And you go, well, I know it's not her. It's definitely not Rex. So this has to be the third guy. So here's the biggest thing that I think this movie does that really just kills me. It hangs with me after the movie and I cannot shake it. Is we're watching this guy try to figure out how to kidnap someone. We're watching him sort of work through the process. Right. And he's going, oh, maybe I'll try this and maybe I'll do this clever thing. And at first we're just seeing him a bit, almost as if to make us question it. Is it really going to be so easy? Mm-hmm. You know, here our other character can't find the guy for three years. Are we really going like, oh, well, it's just the other guy in this movie? You know, it's just right. the, right. oh, what about uh, Raymond over here? We found here? him He's right the, away. Yeah, yeah, right. It couldn't be this easy. So I do have an internal like, ah, this movie's showing me another character, but I'm not yet convinced that it's this guy. But eventually when our two characters meet, Raymond offers Rex this chance to, I mean, he, he sort of comes clean with him. He goes, yeah, I'm the guy. I took her. And if you want to know everything, I'll literally tell you all of it. You just got to go on this journey with me. And Rex, who has wanted this so bad, then goes. And that's when we start piecing together all of the, the questions that are just like burning after we've been agonizing over what happened. And then the, the smack across the face that is the, um, the gap in time. But what I find really interesting about what it does with Raymond is that as we're seeing him, we know at some point that like, okay, look, he's the guy who did it. But as we're seeing him prepare to go kidnap her, he is so sort of like bumbling about it. And just the, the filmic kind of nature, the storytelling nature of watching somebody learn to do something kind of puts me, I don't want to say on his side, but it does endear me to him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, he's trying to like figure out his gimmick. Sure. What's his act going to be? Sure. Oh, he's going right. to, oh, a little broken wing. He thinks that'll, oh, yeah. that is smarter because then, ah, that'll help with the hitching because then he's not a big, strong guy and he gets sympathy. And so all these pieces and I'm watching, you know, it's just something that happens in movies. When you see somebody putting together a plan, you kind of want the plan sure. to work. right. Yeah, it's it's your your kidnapping montage. You see him put in the work. You want to see Rocky beat him. Well, yeah, I don't know. Are are you endeared to this guy? I'm not, but I see what you're saying, right? I see what you're saying. Like I find him kind of funny or something. The other aspect to this character uh, is the performance Mm -hmm. and the character design. Yeah, and he just looks he just looks like somebody that I wouldn't. I don't trust, you know, yeah. there's the performance and the way his stupid, his stupid beard. I'm just, this guy is, he's scary and 
Um, the fact that he has, you know, he, he just gives me like Vladimir Putin vibes, uh-huh. uh, where, where it's just like, it seems like no matter what he's doing and what he's putting out and, and all of these things that there's like, he has this sort of like mechanical inner working that he's going to, he knows what he's actually going to do uh-huh. at any given time and whatever outside forces are weighing in on him in a, in a, in a sample circumstance will not ultimately change his courses of action. So no, I, I wouldn't say I'm endeared to him. Uh, I'm fascinated, which, you know, as are we all by sociopaths. But then even that, I kind of get taken down or wrong when he's like, yeah, I'm a sociopath. I'm like, fuck you. You don't get to say you're a sociopath. The endearing part is what makes the ending so sincerely upsetting to me. Because I feel like I was charmed by the movie and by the character and it gave yep. me a false sense of security just like the victim mm-hmm. just this kind of you know his whole shtick is getting somebody to just to go would you mind if i rode along in the car with you instead of forcing them in right and because he I mean, I even think some of the stuff that cuts against that for you, like the design of the character, I just find like just goofy enough to also, yeah. I don't, I, I go, well, it can't be the worst case scenario. It can't be that he's just going to bonk me over the head and kill me and I'll wind up underground. You know, that just seems too easy. So even though I know what's going to happen, when it actually happens, I'm not prepared for it at all. Mm -hmm. And I love seeing Rex just like as an actor, literally fight himself out on the lawn going like, God, I want to know what happens. But he's, you know, the ultimatum is basically whatever happened to her is going to happen to you next. And that's how you're going to learn about it. And that's just enigmatic enough to be like, well, you're not going to put a bullet in my head. I wouldn't learn anything. What do you mean I'd learn? You know, I guess if you're being poetic about it or something. But it just sounds like there is a tangible next step. There is a little like I followed him this far and maybe I can still get out of it once he like ties me to a chair in a basement or whatever fucking Mm -hmm. thing is going to. And then there's also this dichotomy where he's got this new woman, but he can't get Sasuke out of his head. So obviously like... He, he, he's also weighing the reality of like, I could go the rest of my life not know. He says yes, this in the yes. car, right? I could go the rest of my life not knowing and letting her live, but I'm going to choose to, for her to die so that I know what happens to her. And this is, of course, also weighted against the conversation we talked about at the beginning of the movie where he promised he would not let her you know, go through something alone. Yeah, yeah. And so there's all of these four. I mean, it is intricately put together to the point where it's it if you question rex's choice to get in the car with this guy you're mm-hmm. not watching the movie yeah you're not yeah. watching them it's it's literally his only decision yeah. it, you're you you know from from when the question is asked you're like yeah he's gonna go of course he's gonna go is literally he's been waiting for this for three years to get in this car yeah and so i guess it it's part of what is just like so fucking devastating then is you know, he goes, I'm going to go along for the ride. I have to know. And we also got the moment of the killer and Sasuke actually meeting and kind of like watching her struggle over trying to buy the tile and the, you know, um, 
after all this buildup of how we think this is supposed to go, his his master plan, this is kind of like happenstance that he winds up with her. And they sort of like, it's, I don't know, man. I just felt like it played out like a fucking meat cute or something, mm-hmm. you know? And I was just, I think that's part of what endeared me to it. And so it reinvigorates my sort of like, you got to fucking go. You got to go. You got to drink the sleeping pill. You got to go find out what happened, you know, like, may, and that's also when the movie reopens, you know, like maybe she's alive. So this is where I feel like it has so fucking masterfully just like wound me spun me around a, a thread around a fucking finger, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel stupid for where we wind up because I'm just like, because I drank the coffee, right. you know? And I'm just like, God yeah. fucking damn it. Yeah. And it feels so bleak too. It just feels so yeah. bleak. Yeah. Yeah. I want to give you a special bag cat for this. Yeah, okay. I don't know if you know about this. I'm going to spoil the remake. You know, there's a remake of this movie. No. It's an American remake. Good. I'm so glad I get to share this with you. So if you or you, dear audience member, have just watched this movie and you're like, Mm -hmm. wow, that was fucking heavy. That's going to stick with me. Holy fuck. And you need a palate cleanser. I invite you to read along with me. The I'm not even going to pull it up. I'm too lazy. But in the remake, they decide we're going to remake this great movie. Fucking incredible movie. We're going to remake this movie. Okay. And what happens in the remake... Oh, it's got a different story. The ending is different. No. They decide in the ending that he gets buried alive, but at the last second, his girlfriend comes and digs him up, and he springs out of the grave and hits the killer over the head. And then they're reunited. He's gotten over the death of uh, his girlfriend from three years ago. Now that he's got that little piece of information, he can finally, uh, you know, get back to living. And they write a little story about it and sell it to a publisher. Really? Your jaw is just hanging open. It's so good. Yeah, it's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. It's I'm not a a rip on the remake person. You know, like whatever. No, it doesn't doesn't hurt the original vanishing. I just thought it was so funny that it is like the most prototypical American happy end over the, the whole thing about the vanishing is how fucking bleak it is. Yeah. You can't just be like, but what if uh, his girlfriend comes back because he's like late for dinner and she just digs him up and then he's like, ha ha, who's got the upper hand now? And then they write a book about it. So stupid. That's so funny. (laughs) Get me out of the show. I thought you were going to be like, and you're not going to believe who they cast and it was way worse. Oh yeah. Oh no. All right. So yeah, we have a website, doublefeature.fm. The more important website uh, is patreon.com forward slash double feature i had fun today i assume you had fun today i had a great you dear listener had fun today and you want to have fun next week uh patreon.com forward slash double feature in fact that's also appropriate because one of our one of our executive producers actually picked one of next week's movies this is the abbot of unreason who picked next week and along with henrik dinter tom leonard tony gleed and john one of the executive producers of the show. You can be an executive producer. You can uh, get the back catalog. Really, you can continue the show at least through the end of the year, please. Just a reoccurring, just for like a couple weeks. Yeah. That's all I'm asking for. We got like five weeks left until at least the end of the year. Patreon.com forward slash double feature. Sincerely need your help. 
So Abbott of Unreason chose a film uh, called The Imposters, which uh, was directed by Stanley Tucci. I assume this is the movie he wanted. That is the name of the movie he picked. And that is the movie that came up when we searched for it. I messaged him back and we waited like four or five weeks and I didn't, I didn't hear back. Okay. So I don't know. Maybe That's I just doing. don't know how to use the internet. But this is The Imposters we've decided that he met. And so we're going to pair that with actually another much requested film from like the early part of Double Feature that then trickled off as I assume our listeners changed. <laughs> but we're going to pair The Imposters with a British movie called With Nail and I. Mm-hmm. Much requested in the old days and we, uh, we never got around to doing it. So here's our... Here's Here's our comeuppance. I still haven't seen it. I don't know if you've seen it. I have not. All right. But I know what it's about intimately from trying to pair it. Oh, great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I never got the hint on that. So clearly I've been the thing in the way. Yeah. Uh, Watch more fucking film. All right. Bye.